Wonderful to see you here this morning. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. First Timothy, chapter two. First Timothy, chapter two. While you're turning there, we're doing a study. I know that you know this, and I have see no end in sight. But we're doing a study on the doctrine of Christ. And I like to explain it just briefly every time. It's not, not just a doctrine as far as the teaching of Christ. We, we do that every Sunday in every service. But we're talking about, we're, we're doing a, a study on the doctrine of Christ. Who he is and was. What he is and was. And primarily we could say he was, he's the savior of the world. Amen. That would be his ministry. He's the son of God and the son of man. He is the eternal son that existed in eternity past before he was born in a physical body 2,000 years ago to bear the sins of the world. And specifically what we're talking about uh, last week and this week and then probably at least one or two more, we're talking about the ministry of Christ. We're talking about uh, his, his ministry, he, what he did. Uh, it says in Act, Act, the book of Acts begins, uh, this former treatise, the Theopolis, have I made of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Okay, to do and to teach. At a ministry. He still has a ministry, an ongoing ministry. Jesus said, even told his disciples, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for all. Okay, that really to me sums up if, you, if Jesus only came for one reason, uh, saving the lost is the reason. Okay, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, the Bible says. The Lord, the angel Gabriel told uh, Joseph, go ahead and take Mary for your wife because she's going to bear a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall bear the sins of his people. He came to bear our sins. That's why the physical body he had. I mean, to taste death for all men, the Bible says, on the cross. So we're looking at the ministry of Christ. If you want to sum it up in one thing, we could say Savior and Lord. But we talked two weeks ago about Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world. And besides him, there's not another one. Don't waste your time looking somewhere else. Uh, uh, somewhere else. And, you know, it's not enough for people to say, well, Jesus is fine for you. You believe he's your Savior. We have this Savior over here. That is not a Savior. It's false. There is one Savior, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, uh, that we might have the gift of eternal life, the Son of God who bore the sins of the world upon his own body on the cross and then triumphed openly over the grave in his resurrection. Amen? Which coming up soon, we'll be having Easter. We'll be talking more about that. But he came to be Savior of the world and deliverer from sin. What does he save us from? From our sin. What does he deliver us from? From our sin and from the strongholds of sin and from the power of sin and from the grip of Satan who has us men bound in sin, okay? He delivers us from many things, but he came to save and deliver from sins. Last week, we talked about Jesus Christ being our healer. He's healer of mental things. He's healer of, uh, of all kinds of things, but specifically, specifically, we talked about he himself bore our uh, infirmities and, and uh I'm sorry, he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Sicknesses is always speaking of a bodily, physical ailment, okay? So there's, he could deliver people from demon possessions, but he did die on the cross. And in, the heal, in his uh, work on the cross, there's a provision for healing of our bodies. The Bible very clearly tells us that. By whose stripes you were healed. And so we looked at that last week. And today we're looking at this scripture here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What does it say in verse 5? It's very simple. I love things that are simple. <clears throat> there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so the, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ's uh, ministry as mediator, mediator, advocate, intercessor, and high priest. It's a mouthful, but all those sort of overlap, and we're going to talk about that today. When we look at the ministry of Christ, we have to look at the work that he did and the work that he does. There's a work that was finished, and there's a work that continues to, to carry on, that he continues to carry on. The work that he finished was the work on the cross. I know we said this, but it's important to note, we don't, he's not going to die on a cross again. 
that work is finished. He said on the cross, it is finished. That means completed, okay? Completed. That work on the cross is finished. There doesn't need to be another sacrifice made for your sins or my sins or the sins of people that haven't been born yet. Uh, He died. And he, he says in this, he did it when he did it once. He did it once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That is a work that is totally finished boxed up, written in the Gospels. We have in the Gospels the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which will not, nor does it need to be repeated, because the Bible says in Isaiah that the Father will see the travail of His Son and be satisfied. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. The Father looked at the sacrifice of Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross and said, I'm satisfied with that. Not another animal has to be sacrificed, certainly not another human being, because all would be sinners anyway. And so Jesus, that work of Calvary, his earthly life, bearing the sins of the world upon his body, dying for those sins, being buried and rising in the third day and ascending to the right hand of the Father, that is a finished work. It is historical. And it, praise God, and all that he continues to do, there's still a ministry of Jesus now, but all that he continues to do is based upon that work. All that he continues to do on our behalf is based upon that finished work when he came to the earth and, and ultimately on the cross and in his resurrection. So there's, there's what he's finished and what he continues to do. What does the Lord continue to do? Well, many things. We talked about healing last week. Uh, The Lord continues to save people that are lost, but the work of salvation is complete. Does that make sense? The sacrifice has been made and the price has been paid. So that work is there. It's almost just on standby when when somebody comes to the Lord and wants to give their life to Christ. When he draws them, the provision is there, fully there. No less than it was 2,000 years ago, okay? He continues to save people. He still continues to deliver people. He continues to heal. And he also, what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he also functions on our behalf as our mediator. So we're going to look at a few words this morning, mediator and intercessor and advocate, and ultimately we'll close with high priest. All of those overlap. All of those ministries really work together. Our mediator, our intercessor, our advocate, our high priest, okay? And it is based on the fact that he is now currently at the right hand of the Father. So think about it. The Bible says when, uh, when he himself had purged our, when he by himself had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He purged our sins by himself. And then what did he do? He sat down, not because he's tired. He sat down because it's a completed work. The work is finished. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Where is Jesus Christ today? Well, he's in my heart. He's in the world. Yes, he is in the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Spirit of Christ, third person of the Trinity. Where is Jesus and what place of authority is he's at the right hand of the Father. The right hand is, the, is like, you've heard the term, my right-hand man, okay? Jesus is that right-hand man. He, he, he earned that position, I guess you say. It's rightfully his. And he is at the right hand of the Father, and he is functioning as our intercessor. I want to read from a, uh, a quote from this, this book that I've been studying. Jesus, it speaks of Christ's present ministry. When he left earth for heaven, that's when the disciples, 40 days after his resurrection, right? He, the book of Acts, it starts in chapter 1. Uh, the disciples, he, he leads his disciples out to the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. And he tells them to wait in the city until they're endued with power from on high. It's the promise of the Holy Ghost. Wait till you receive this. And it says while he talked with them, uh, he was received up out of their sight in a cloud. And the clouds took him up, and they were standing gazing up. I guess I would be too, just gazing up in the heavens. And the angels say, what, you men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which you've seen go, is going to come again in like manner. Okay? So that was when he ascended. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. When he left this earth, he went to heaven. Okay? His ministry did not cease. His ministry did not cease. It ever continues, although it's changed. 
His present ministry is based upon his work on earth. After his glorious ascension, there came the restoration of the glory he possessed before the world began. Seated at the right hand of God. Okay? And so his present ministry is, is really what he is preparing and protecting and watching over his church. Okay, he's the head of his church and the body of it, uh, watching over his church. He intercedes for the church. He protects the church. Um, he, he stands on our behalf. Okay, and again, it's all based on his completed work on the cross at his first coming when he came. Okay, while on earth, the Bible says in Hebrews that he offered up strong prayers with cryings. Can you, can you imagine Jesus? I don't believe it's just in the garden. He's offered up strong prayers with tears, the Bible says, and he continues to do that on our behalf today, okay? So we're going to look at this this morning, specifically mediator, okay? Mediator is what we're starting with. We just read in First Timothy, there's one God, right? We're one God in three persons. He's still one God in three persons, and there's one mediator between men, God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's our mediator, and that means he represents us, all right? He represents us, and he pleads on our behalf. The definition of the word mediator, if you're just jotting these things and would like to know, what does that scripture mean? Uh, it's not that different than we would think of a mediator in a, in a lawsuit type of thing where maybe between labor and, and, and business, you know, there's a mediator to try to get a contract settled. But it means, literally, it means middleman. It means go-between. It means intercessor. And I love this one. It means reconciler. So the whole idea, like we've been talking about Wednesday nights when we looked at Elijah and his stumble and fall, um, that God's whole purpose was to, and desire was to reconcile him back, okay, to reconcile us. And so a mediator, the scripture saying Galatians 3, it's a little strange verse, there, a mediator is not mediator of, of one, but God is one. So the whole definition of a mediator, it wouldn't just be me and by myself being a mediator. A mediator is one that's between two parties, okay? So we understand that, right? A go-between, a middleman. And so he is the one. We just read it in First Tim, First Timothy 2. There's one God, and there's one mediator between men and God, or God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's not another one. It's the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, speaking about Jesus, by how much more also is he the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon, upon better promises. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. It's amazing when I started studying, I didn't think about it really when I set out to study. 90% of our scriptures are from Hebrews. And it makes sense when I look back and say, okay, we're talking about him being our high priest and our mediator. And the whole book of Hebrews is talking about how everything is Jesus and his priesthood and his ministry and him as a priest is better than the Old Testament priesthood. Hebrews, that's what the whole book basically is about. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament or first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of, the, of eternal inheritance. One more I'll read from Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So Jesus Christ is the meteor, mediator of the, the new covenant, the new testament, and then it's also called a better testament or a better covenant. The word testament means covenant. So if you say in our Bibles, we just think it's the first part of the Bible and then the New Testament, which talks about Jesus. But literally the word testament means covenant. So the old covenant, even that, uh, you know, specifically came through Moses, that old covenant was uh, given by God, literally by the hands of angels, to Moses on Mount Sinai from Moses to the people. The purpose of that first covenant which no man kept, right? No man kept nor could keep. Well, that purpose of that covenant was not to be the Savior of men. The purpose of that covenant was to point men to the Savior. Everything in that temple 
worship, the tabernacle worship, the brazen altar, the altar of incense, uh, everything, every candlestick, every it was a type and shadow portraying Christ who would come and usher in the real. This was a shadow. Christ's coming was the real. Okay? So just keep that in mind. There's a lot of details and so forth, but basically that's what it is. The Bible says, John says in John chapter 1, for the law was given by Moses, or really by God to Moses, to, from Moses to the people. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now we know real quickly, so wasn't, there, wasn't there grace and truth before Jesus came? Yes, there were. But in the fullness, in the fullness, in the complete picture, and that's what it says, of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. There was grace and truth and mercy in God before Christ came. And he, he was a perfect manifestation of God in the flesh, and therefore the perfect manifestation of his grace and truth. Amen? So the two different covenants. The old covenant has passed away. It doesn't exist. The Jews are ignorantly today, I'm not saying this to be critical, the Jews missed Jesus at his first coming. They continue to function some function, don't function in it at all. They're Jews in name only. But even those that would be Orthodox Jews, they ignorantly continue to function under that first covenant, thinking that their Messiah has not come yet at all. Okay? They're in a deceived, hard-hearted position where they stand now. They can be saved. Jewish people are getting saved every day. All the early church was totally 100% Jewish. Okay? But the point is that first covenant has passed away. Christ fulfilled it. This is important to me. And I don't want to spend too much time on this. But the fact that the old covenant has passed away, it does not mean that God came one day and said, look at this stupid, old, pointless covenant, which is preached a lot today in hyper-grace type of circles. There's a real disdain for the Old Testament period. Okay, uh, Jesus didn't say it's stupid, it's worthless, it's, it was uh, served no value, and it was evil and wicked, like it's preached today. Maybe you haven't heard it, I've heard it, okay? Jesus completed it. He fulfilled it. He wouldn't have fulfilled something that's pointless, wicked, stupid, evil, all right? It says in Romans chapter 7, the law is spiritual, good, holy, the commandments are just. Spiritual, holy, just, all right, and good. The law, but the law couldn't save anybody. Jesus fulfilled the righteousness of the law. And now by faith in Jesus, that same righteousness is imputed to me as though I fulfilled it, which I know I didn't fulfill it. But there is one who did, Jesus Christ. Okay, he fulfilled it. And by fulfilling it, he put it away. It's done with. The Old Testament law is done with and finished. It doesn't serve anymore. It's not functioning anymore. He finished it, okay? He finished it, and he, in the same moment, it happened at the same time, as he put away the old covenant, he entered into a new covenant with men by his blood. All that would put their trust in him, strictly by his blood, to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and forgiven of our sins, okay? So his covenant is better, and by faith, any man who will can enter into that covenant with the Lord. He is our mediator and the mediator of a better covenant, of a better testament. Okay? So listen to this verse from Hebrews 7.25. Some will turn to and read. Some I'm just going to read them to you. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth, first of all. He's not a dead God. All right? We're talking about what, what ministry does Jesus have now today? Well, this is an important one. He ever lives to make intercession for those that have come to God by him. He is our intercessor. So when I say he's our mediator, that is synonymous with intercessor. Uh, and we'll look at that in a little bit more, but he ever lives to do that. And I will say this, we should never think that Jesus Christ is not helping us now. In other words, it, he did everything on the cross, and I'm very thankful for that, but I don't really see how he's helping me now. We're looking today, among, and probably a few more Sundays, 
We're looking at how he's helping us today. We also should never think that we don't need his help. You and I need his help every breath we take. Okay? He is interceding on our behalf. And he's at the right hand of the Father. He is functioning as our high priest, advocate, mediator, intercessor right now today. At the right hand of the Father. Listen to this from Romans 5. For if we were, when we were enemies, that's before we were saved, every single person on this planet, and all of us, before we came to Christ, truly by faith and repented, gave our life to Jesus, we were enemies of God. Whether you thought you were or not, that's how the Bible terms us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that's the finished work, the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Much more. Isn't it interesting that it tells us that? It doesn't just say uh, you don't need Jesus to do anything for you now. He is at the right hand of the Father, and he's functioning as our advocate. So I want to read this scripture. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands. Jesus didn't go into the, the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses. I'm talking about his physical body, okay? He, and he didn't go into Solomon's temple and so forth. He's not entered into the tabernacle, uh, holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Every part of that is important. He has entered into heaven now, okay? He's entered into heaven now to appear for us. There's a book I read one time, the title of it, and I love it, it's Jesus comma, our man in glory. Jesus, our man in glory. He's Jesus, he's our man, and where is he? He's our man, but he's our man in glory right now. He's our man in glory on our behalf. When it says, now in heaven, in the presence of God, to appear, that means to represent us. That's one of the definitions for who? For us. Well, I'm already saved. I know we're already saved. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're not saved, you can be, you must be born again. But he's there to intercede for us. What's the, we're going to talk about this word intercession for a minute because Christ is functioning. He ever lives to intercede for us. What does that mean? Well, the word intercede, uh, it means to light upon, to fall in with, to meet with, to intercede for and with. Okay, like I said, all these ministries and all these words we're talking about sort of overlap each other a little bit. I think in the Bible about uh, Abraham. I think of some famous intercessors that just stick out to me. Abraham, uh, he probably didn't even know, he might not even known the word intercessor. I don't know. But I know that when the Lord came to him, the three angelic visitors, which everybody says was the Lord in a pre-incarnate state, come to, to the Abraham, he says, my friend. I'm going to Abraham, my friend. And I'm not going to hide this thing that I'm about to do from Abraham, my friend, because I know he's, I know him. and He's going to bring up his children to fear me, and he's going to teach them about me. And I made my covenant with him. Well, what is God about to do at that moment? He's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin and wickedness. So here's Abraham, and he says, Lord, uh, please don't get angry if I talk to you just for a minute, please, Lord. If there's a hundred righteous people in that place, would you, you wouldn't kill the hundred righteous, just lump them in there with the wicked and kill them like they're wicked, would you? No, if there's a hundred righteous, I'll spare them. Spare the whole place for the hundred righteous. And he whittles it down from 50 and so forth. And I think he got down to five. If I'm wrong, I apologize. But the point is, he was interceding. And why was he interceding so much for this city? Because his nephew lived there. His nephew lived there. He's interceding for his nephew. And Lot doesn't even know he's been interceded for, but he needed an intercessor, didn't he? We might not even think about it a lot of times. We're glad of what Jesus did on the cross, but we don't realize our need for him now, interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. He ever liveth to do it. He must think it's important because he ever lives to make intercession for us that have already come to him by faith in Jesus. So intercession, I'll give, I'm going to give a, a quick ex explanation. The purposes of intercession, this is like the definition of the Bible, the purposes of intercession, to plead the cause of others, to pray for others, to defend or vindicate a person of a thing, 
to commend a person to others, to provide assistance to another. Well, we need that assistance, amen? And we're going to talk about this, why, why we do. But I promise you, and it's revealed in the scriptures, we do. I want to read this. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. This then is the first great gain as the result of Christ's entrance into heaven. First great gain for us. He intercedes for us. For the efficacy of his intercession reaches as far as his, the efficacy of his blood. We have a friend in the courtroom, so to speak, in the court of the everlasting king who intercedes for us. He petitions for us and his petitions never fail. He pleads our cause without fail and without fee. He doesn't charge us. Amen. We have a, an advocate before the Father. And so you and I as saints of God, we have still, still have a great need for the Lord's help. Here's, here's, here's the best. I'm going to try to explain it by the Lord's help. What help do I still have of, of the Lord other than healing me when I'm sick or giving me wisdom or, you know, stopping an enemy from coming against me? Well, he does all those things, but we still have great need. You and I live, if we're born again, we live, as the Bible says, as sheep in the midst of wolves. You and I live as righteous saints of God, not perfected, but righteous by the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ. We live in the midst of who? The Bible says a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as light. We're right in the middle of them. God drops us right in the middle. This guy right here and this guy right here are, are lost. And not, not only lost in many cases, they're anti-Christian. Okay? And we live right in the middle, and that's God's plan. I'm going to put you right in the middle of them. You're going to be a witness to them for me, and I'm going to show myself strong in your weakness, and I'm going to show your, your, you to be stronger than them because of me and you. All right? And so... Christ our Lord is in heaven in his rightful position and authority, and he prays for us, he defends us, he pleads our cause, he commends us, he assists us, he vindicates us. From who? Well, I think, obviously, from our enemies. We have enemies, plural, and we have an enemy, an adversary, and even our flesh can, can be our enemy at times, our own selves can be our enemies at times, but we have an adversary. The word Satan means adversary. That's the definition of the word Satan. It means adversary. We have an adversary. He is an enemy of your souls. He's not your friend. He's not, he's not some benign thing that has nothing to do with you either. And just because you're saved, don't think he has nothing to do with you. He does. The ones that are saved, it's almost like you don't have to spend a lot of time with them. They're already in his camp. They're all locked up under lock and key. The Lord can get them out anytime he wants if they'll turn to the Lord. But you that are saved, he, he's after your testimony for Christ. He's after your joy in the Lord, which is your strength. He is after your peace. He is after uh, the life that God's given you in Jesus. He is a formidable foe. And he is continuing to, come, continuing to come against our lives. And he brings accusations against us before God. He brings accusations against us before God. The clearest picture I see of that is in Job. You know, in Job chapter 1, right? Job was a man who feared God and shunned evil, walked uprightly before the Lord. And God said to Satan, there's a day when the sons of, of, of God appeared before the Lord, and Satan also appeared. Even after he's cast out of heaven, he appeared before the Lord because the Lord allowed him to. Evidently, he allows him to. And, he's, and the Lord says to Satan, have you, Satan, considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him. Well, he just serves you because you bless him. You put a hedge of protection around him. Let me get to him, and he'll curse you to your face. Satan, do what you want up till this bounds. He, he, he went against Job, and, and the Lord, uh, Job still remained faithful to God. Okay? But the point is, we have an accuser. We have an an enemy that comes against us. And I'll say this, when he accuses us, he does it to your life. He, he brings accusations before the Lord against your life. You know what I thought when I was studying this? You know what, Lord, I bet a lot of those accusations he brings against me before you are true. He don't have to invent stuff all the time. 
You understand what I'm saying? He can bring an accusation before the Lord. You know, Randy is really whatever. He's been really lazy lately. He's been really selfish lately. He's been really angry lately for no cause. He's been really uh, short and impatient with his family lately. You know, he could bring a lot of accusations. They don't have to be made up lies. He is a liar. He could bring enough true things about me that would do me in, so to speak. But you know what? That, the, the fact that he brings true accusations against me meets against a greater truth. The greater truth is the way, the truth, and the life. The greater truth is, says, yes, Satan, but he's trusted in me. Get your hands off him. You have nothing to do with him. He's my child. And I know his imperfections better than you do, and I'm working in him. And I'm working on his behalf, and I'm sure he's surely standing against you, coming against his life. The Lord rebuke you, right? The Lord rebuke you. We have a greater truth that if God be for us, who can be against us? We have the blood of Jesus. We have a strong and perfect plea. A perfect plea. I just can shut my mouth. And I have an advocate at the Father right now who ever lives to intercede for me. And the blood that he shed that has made a way for me to come into his presence and that has been applied to my heart and life. We have Christ the Lord. He is our Savior, the Lord, deliverer. He is our defender today in heaven. I think we don't still need the Lord. We do. Amen. He's before at the right hand of the throne of God. And we have one that conquered death and hell and the grave and that crushed the serpent under his heel. He's done that. Satan still allowed a measure of authority and power. We understand. We read the Bible. He's not bound up in the bottomless pit now, and he's not in the lake of fire now. He's walking to and fro in the earth, seeking whom he may devour. His power is still present, but it's limited. It's limited in, in how far it can go and how long it will go. There's a definite day that's coming to the end, but the greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I want to read two scriptures. This from Revelation. I know this is future. But just listen to this from Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. I just said, hallelujah. There's, there's coming a day where even that power that Satan has been allowed to have is going to be, there's going to come a day where that's not even going to be allowed anymore. Okay? But until then, we have an advocate at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Listen to this, and it's a rhetorical question. In Romans 8:34, right before says, neither death nor life, these things won't separate us from the love of God. Right before that, who is he that condemneth? Almost like a, who does that person think they are or that devil thinks he is that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at now, currently, at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who's con who is that that's condemning? Well, we know Satan. But it's almost like, who, who are you, devil, to condemn? Because no matter who or what, whole nation, a whole whatever, family, the devil himself condemns you before God. The Lord says, who is that that condemns? It's Christ, my son, that died and rose again. Whoever, whoever lives and makes intercession for us. So anything that meets up against him, even if the accusation's true, and even if they're numerous and many and, and horrible, they're still going to meet with the blood of Jesus if we truly trusted in Christ. We have an advocate. We have an intercessor who pleads our cause. The last thing I want to talk about this morning, and again, these are all so uh, similar. These, they're similar. Okay, his ongoing ministry, and it's a ministry of being our high priest, our high priest, all right? In the Levitical system, and, and again, we're contra contrasting here the Old Testament system of worship, that old covenant that God gave uh, that men perverted and men couldn't keep, uh, but it was still given. And there was a priest and a priesthood through Aaron's line that was given in that Old Testament, right? And they had specific jobs and duties to, to fulfill. And one of their biggest jobs of all was to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. They represented God to men, and then they would go and represent and stand on behalf of people before God. 
right? The priests were. Most of them or many of them were not uh, truly men of faith that followed the Lord like they should. Some were. But in any case, that priesthood, those priests offered sacrifices. They offered animals. The blood of bulls and goats, which can never take away sin, right? And never make the comer pure in their hearts or in their conscience. Never. But yet God gave it and he required it and he accepted it as a temporary covering or an atonement for men's sins that, that did that. Christ priesthood is so much better. We don't have time to get into it. But he's our high priest today, not a Levitical priest or some priest on the earth, not a human being. Christ offered not animals for the sins of the people. This he did once when he offered himself. He offered himself. Those priests, the Bible says in Hebrews, were not able to continue by reason of death. What does that mean? Plain and simply, they got old and died. Whoever's priest now, they'd either, they, there was a, a frame, a window in their lives This from, I think, 30 years old to a certain age, and then they had to step down. Okay, And they would die. They didn't continue. They had to get a new priest and a new high priest. But Jesus ever lives. He has a, he has a priesthood that continues, abides a priest continually, the Bible says. So we don't have to get a new priest all the time. We got the priest. So I want you to, uh, well, I'm going to read two more scriptures from Hebrews. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that which in the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, is, it might sound technical, but Jesus was not a priest of the Levitical order. He was not a descendant of Aaron. He was of the tribe of Judah, right? The line of tribe of Judah, which the Bible speaks nothing about priesthood from the tribe of Judah. But it speaks everything about our priest, Jesus Christ, coming from that tribe, all right? And so he, he is a priest Forever. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 4. I think a lot of times we go to this passage maybe for a different reason than where we're going to look at it today. Probably at our prayer meeting tonight we could read this, but I want us to look at Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay? So there's a lot in this passage, and a couple of things I want to point out is that he, we have this high priest, okay? He's passed into the heavens. That means he's, that literally means he passed through and arrived. Okay? He's passed into the heavens. And we have him now because we need him now. Amen? Passed into the heavens. And he says he, he's, we don't have a type of priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Take the opposite of that. It means Christ has been and can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities which is weaknesses and feebleness of frailty of mind or body, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet what? Without sin. He's the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. What a better high priest, amen? All those other priests had to first go, and even if they were the really good ones that did trust God and, and loved the Lord, there's priests like Samuel, there's priests like uh, Aaron and so forth that did trust the Lord, they still had to offer first before they could do anything for anybody else, they had to offer sacrifice for their own sins. I'm a sinner. Before, before I can approach you, God, and offer sins for all these people, I've got to take care of my own sin first. And that's what the Bible said. They first had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Then, here, Lord, they'd offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people. Jesus did not have to do that. Okay, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And I don't think we need to sit down and think, well, was Jesus tempted with this and that? And we go through all the myriads of sins. I don't think that that's what the Bible is teaching. Was he, was he tempted with this perversion? I don't, I don't think that he was. 
I believe it's summed up like this in 1 John, where it says, All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All sin can be summarized in that. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He was in all points tempted, yet without sin. When he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and he was declared to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the Father says, this is my beloved Son, okay, in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Immediately, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. And so he he fasted 40 days and nights. I don't know how it all played out exactly, but it says the devil came to him and, and said, you know, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. If you're the son of God, uh, you know, brings him up to a high mountain. If you're the son of God, see all these kingdoms, bow down and worship me. I'll give them all to you. All these kingdoms of the earth, he showed them in a moment's time. He was hungry. If you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread uh, and so forth. And th- there's these three areas of temptation. And I don't want to split hairs over it, but I'm just simply saying I think that Jesus was in all points tempted, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, yet without sin. That's my high priest. He can be touched with my infirmities. How? Because he knew what it was like to be a man. He tasted death for all men. I say it all the time. When they beat him with the, with the whips, it hurt. He bled. When they plucked the beard out of his face, it hurt. When they smote him and... You know, who, who prophesied Jesus? And they're mocking him and got him blindfolded and beating him with the rods. He felt it. It hurt. Well, he didn't sleep all night, all through that, that night, right, into the next day and gave up the ghost at 3 p.m. He was body was tired. You understand my point? He was, he, was, he was touched with our infirmities and tempted yet without sin. That's the great high priest that we have. And we as blood-bought saints, and I'm bringing this to a close, as blood-bought saints of God, that's our high priest. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched. And it says, seeing then, look back at verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, all right? And then, and then it tells us, therefore, let us, therefore, in verse 16, what's the admonition to us. Admonition is this, and this is how we're going to close today. Because of this, because of our high priest and who he is and what he's done for us and what he's doing right now at the right hand of the Father, because of that, based on that fact of who he is and what he's done and what he's doing, because of that, two things we're told to do. Hold fast our profession. Hold fast your profession. You know, the, the Hebrews, like I said, most of these scriptures we're reading are from Hebrews. I have a bunch more just for time's sake. I don't think I'm supposed to read them. But the Hebrew church, the book of Hebrews was written, written to Hebrew believers of that day. The Hebrew believers of that day, and I, I firmly believe that Paul wrote it, but it's not worth uh, splitting fellowship over, I can promise you. These believers were facing persecution from Rome like all the believers were. The Gentile believers would have faced that persecution as well. But they're also facing great persecution from the Jews of their day. They were cast out of the synagogues. And the synagogue represented life. It was their schools. It was, it was society. It was business. It was everything. They were cast out of the synagogue and, 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 and despised by the other Jews. And this epistle was written to encourage them. Okay? to encourage them to say, hold fast your profession of faith. They're already believers. We're not of those that shrink back, he says, under perdition. But we're those that believe to the saving of the soul. Hold fast your profession. And he would say, these Jews talk about their priests and so forth. We have such a high priest. It's entered into the heavens through the veil. It's made a way for us, Right? And so that's what the whole, the whole thought is. And what does it mean to hold fast our profession? Profession means agreement, confession, and I love this one, terms of surrender. Your profession in Christ. Well, I certainly have an agreement that Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, and there's none other. Confession, I'm a sinner, and I confess you as Lord and my Savior and Lord. 
but also terms of surrender. When you gave your life to Jesus, whether you detailed it all out like this or not, probably you didn't, but when we gave our life to Jesus, we gave our life to Jesus. We surrendered. We surrendered being our own bosses. We surrendered trying to, to be our own righteousness and clean ourselves up. We surrendered our will, our future, our everything to Christ. And I'm to hold fast that term, those terms of surrender. Don't let it slip, okay? Don't let it slip. I surrendered everything to Jesus when I gave my life to him, and I'm, I'm going to hold fast to that even now. And, all right, so hold fast our profession in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Well, where is the throne? The Bible says his throne is in heaven. His throne is in heaven where we have an advocate, a forerunner that's entered in for us on our behalf. When he ascended on high, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father at the throne room of God. Uh, and we can come boldly, doesn't mean arrogantly, but it does mean confidently, boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That word time of need li literally means in the nick of time. We find grace and mercy to help us. When do we need it? We need it when we need it, not 10 minutes later. We need it now. We need it in the nick of time. And that's what we find when we go before the Lord. The door has been opened by Christ. He is the door. Okay? Christ has made a way for us. He is the way through his flesh. He has given men, the men that are in Christ, access into the very presence of God. He's talking about him being our high priest. Okay? Our high priest. And... It's, a, it's an access that we did not have before. It's something new that we have since we got saved, okay? And a lost man can call out to God and cry out to be saved, and God will save them. But they don't have access to the throne room of God in their lost condition just staying like that, okay? We have that access. I want to read this from Ephesians. For through him we both, that's Jews and Gentiles, have ex access by one spirit unto the Father. Through who? Through Jesus. He's our mediator, intercessor, advocate who pleads on our behalf, and he's our high priest who's made a way for us, for us. He's already got the way. He was restored with the glory that he had before he ever came to this earth, and he was ascended on high. We have that access. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. And it's a privilege, and it's something that we're admonished to do, to draw near to the Lord by the blood of Jesus, to come into his presence. He's inviting us, but he's also made a way. I'm going to close with this thought. And Chris, if you, if you would come on up. Uh, this seem, might seem like a strange way to end this. We're talking about Jesus' ongoing ministry as our advocate and high priest, all right? You know the, uh, the book Esther in the Old Testament. To me, it's one of the most amazing things in the whole Bible when you really think about Esther and what took place there. The, the children of Israel were taken captive um, because of their sin. They spent seven years in, 70 years in captivity, as God prophesied, in Babylon, which later was taken over by Persia, right? We know the story. So Esther and Mordecai, her cousin, he's more like her uncle and father that raised her. Esther, they were, they were Hebrews, okay? And Esther, through a series of events, becomes the queen. The queen marries the Persian king, and, but she's a Hebrew. He didn't, know, he didn't know that she was a Hebrew, but she was. So Haman, this wicked man who would be like Satan, all right, he brings an accusation against all the Jewish people and has the king sign a decree, which he foolishly did, that every Jewish person, every Hebrew, in one day throughout the, all the 70 provinces of Persia, or, or however many it was, uh, were going to be killed in one day. And he and take all their stuff and their houses, and young and old, kill them all in one day. Here's the law. It's signed, the law of the Medes and the Persians, right? And it was a law. It was in, it was in place, and the date was coming up when it was to be fulfilled. Well, Mordecai says, look, Esther, don't 
don't hold your peace right now. Now is not the time to be quiet. He says, if you hold your peace, then God's salvation will arise from some other place. But this is a time for you to speak. You have a position that nobody else, nobody other Hebrew on the whole planet has. You're the queen to the king. Okay? And who knows if you weren't brought to, we weren't brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Well, she obviously was. All right? So she goes, okay, I'm going to go talk to the king on behalf of our people. My maidens are going to go and pray and fast, and you, you get everybody you know and go pray and fast. And then she says, if I die, I die. I want to read this. So here's Esther talking to Mordecai when they're making the plan. And he says, go talk to him. She says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of him, of his, to, be, to put him to death. So you can be killed. If you're not called and you just walk in there, king, you got a minute, it didn't work like that. They're to be put to get death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. So I'm jumping forward. And so she prays and fasts. Mordecai prays and fasts. She goes in, says, if I die, I die. She steps in before the king. He, he had not called her. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. What does it have to do with anything we're talking about? It has a lot to do with what we're talking about. We have, we have a high priest. We have an advocate that we can draw near. And that golden scepter, so to speak, is held out for us. And we obtain favor. We obtain favor by the blood of Jesus. Only by the blood of Jesus. Not by our perfected actions or perfected hearts. But by the blood of Christ. He is our intercessor. And I can draw near. And every single time I draw near, that golden scepter is held out. And, oh, you found favor. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Sit down here. Spend some time with me here. Come in. Every single time. It is held out to us because of Jesus and his work on the earth and his ongoing work at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Amen. Y'all stand with me this morning. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. The altars are open. This is our appeal this morning from the Lord. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This altar is open, and it's not because it's some carpeted soft pad at the front that it's anything attractive. It's representing coming to the Lord, drawing near to God. He will draw nigh unto you. We have that acceptance because of Jesus Christ, amen, and his work on the cross. Father, we